The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and you are listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we strive every single week to bring you the best strategies, advice, and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing business. This is question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing, which means there is no show without your questions. So how do you get your questions in? Well, you can call in. The toll-free number is 877-772-9658. Or you can go to our website and fill out the email response form, which is the way to get them directly to me as opposed to through a whole nother system that then they have to be forwarded to me. RealLifeRealEstate.com has a tab that says ask a question. If you fill in the form there and hit send, it will come straight on over here. Some exciting news for Ohioans. The queen of rehab, Robin Thompson, is going to be making a trip through central and southern Ohio on September the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd to speak to Central Ohio real estate entrepreneurs on the 1st, Greater Dayton Rhea on the 2nd, and the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati on the 3rd of the month. If you haven't met Robin, uh, she's somebody that is worth meeting. She has a very down-to-earth and experience-based view of how you ought to find renovation deals, hire contractors, fire them when necessary, and uh, lots more. You can find out more about her Columbus trip at, at centralohiorea.com, her uh, appearance at Greater Dayton Rhea on Wednesday the 2nd at gdrhea.com, and about her trip to Cincinnati Rhea at cincinnatirhea.com. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at uh, realliferealestate.com where you can fill in the ask a question box and get your questions sent straight here. Uh, I have a question here from Tara in Wisconsin who says... Of all the wholesale deals you did in 2014 and so far in 2015, would you happen to know if the majority of deals came from one type of sellers, for instance, frustrated landlords, probate, MLS, etc.? I'm starting to notice certain gurus online talk about mailing to evictions and tax delinquent lists. However, if someone lives in an area where the population is only 15,000, 
uh, sorry, 150,000, those leads would be very few compared to someone living in a big metro area. Well, Tara, if you live in an area of 150,000, the leads from any and all sources are going to be fewer than they would uh, if you lived in a town of, you know, 1.5 million or something like that. Um, And I think mostly when you hear... Uh, what you're calling gurus talk about, you know, this is the best list or this is the best list or this is the best list, assuming that they are not then trying to sell you that list, assuming what they're, what they're saying is I'm selling you a wholesaling course, but this is my best list. They're, they're, they're telling you the truth in their experience. My own experience and working with investors throughout the country is that there is no best list everywhere in the country, not because, I don't know, frustrated landlords aren't just as motivated in Wisconsin as they are in California, but because sometimes the lists are easier to get in one place than they are in another. And I don't care I don't care if somebody says probate is the very best list and the only one you need to be using and you're crazy if you do anything else. If it's impossible for you to get your hands on a probate list where you live because they're not online and because the lady at the courthouse who controls all the files won't pull them for you, then you're not going to use probate. That's silly. There's no, no sense in beating your head up against the wall to, to get to a particular set of sellers if they are hard for you to get to. So your first question, which was really, uh, can I say where the majority of my deals came from? I will answer it, but you have to understand that what you really need to be doing is finding out what is easy for you to get to where you live. Um, You mentioned MLS. Absolutely not. Uh, I bought one property from MLS in the last 24 months because the uh, inventory of distressed properties is way down and the competition from people who don't know any other way to find deals is way up. So uh, mostly I get a lot of um, deals that I'll make an offer on and, you know, I'm thinking, well, this, this, this deal realistically to a rehab or a landlord is worth $25,000 and it sells for thirty five. And I say to myself, how is that person going to make money? And then I realize that they're probably not. That <laughs> they 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 either are gonna, you know, spend a bunch of their own time and energy doing their own work and thinking that they're saving the labor costs or it's just really not gonna work out for them. Um driving for dollars is an amazing way to find wholesale deals, looking for vacant ugly properties and tracking down the owners through the public record. Uh, you'll find that um, a lot of those owners are very motivated to sell because they have a vacant property and vacant properties cost people money. Uh, the tax delinquent list, eh, I've used it. Uh, I haven't personally found a lot of deals on it. I think that's primarily because uh, by the time by the time a property here gets listed for tax sale, uh, many times it's so delinquent that the and so stripped because it's been vacant for years uh, that the taxes sometimes exceed the value of the property, 
So that, I mean, I, I've, I've heard people say that that was a good list for them. It hasn't been one for me. Uh, probate is generally a good list, uh, although those deals tend to take longer to come to fruition because the probate process is long. Uh, it's often emotionally complicated for the person who is doing the selling because they have other people involved, you know, other heirs who may or may not be arguing with them about selling. So, um, you know, sometimes you put a property under contract in August and it, it doesn't close until January because there was some court stuff to go through and so on. So um, other than the tax delinquent list, which I have not had a lot of luck with, all of the lists that you name have been good ones for me. Um, most of my deals right now are coming from frustrated landlords, more so more so than, than frustrated homeowners. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. And, uh, you know, I think you have to ask yourself the question, how many deals do I want to do out of this population of 150,000? Because there's only going to be a certain number of deals you can do. And I'm not saying it's not more than enough to make a great living. It probably is. But, you know, compared to L.A., <laughs> 10 million people or whatever. Yeah, there's going to be just a, a smaller gross number of motivated sellers because there's a smaller gross number of owners of properties. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk to Roger, who's on line one from San Antonio, and take questions from Tom and Kim as well. If you'd like to ask your own question, 877-772-9658, or send an email by going to realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Remember, you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate through our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Investing, Or you can get on our mailing list by going to realliferealestate.com. Every week we send out Real Life Real Estate listeners an article that tells you something new about the real estate market and also a notification the show's coming up so that you never miss it. That's realliferealestate.com. Let's go to the phones, talk to Roger on line one in San Antonio. Roger, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. 78 degrees sounds like heaven to us here. <laughs> I bet it does. We've, we've been having wonderful weather up here this summer, at least well, the last few weeks. You guys must be at like 101, right? It's just about that. Yeah. 9,900. <laughs> okay, my question is, how, how does the value of, your website. I believe you have a website to buy houses, mm -hmm. to help you buy houses. How does that compare to mail outs and other? Well, that is a very interesting question, Thanks. Roger. And the uh, answer is going to be different 10 years from now than it is right now. Um, mm -hmm. But the the, the the concept of the website of and what you're talking about is you know you'll have a website called like Roger buys houses or something like that, right? And it allows uh, owners to type in who buys houses in San Antonio and then your name theoretically pops up and they fill out a form online and then you can call them and so on. the The thing is, most people are going to do that search with certain keywords. You know, who who buys houses in San Antonio, Buy, uh, buyers of houses in San Antonio, um, San Antonio house buyers, things like that. And the way in which the results are going to pop up on the most common search engine, which is Google, is going to be based on optimization, right? 
Right. And right. what you're up against is probably 15 to 20 great big national franchises who spend $100,000 a year on search engine optimization so that they pop up first in every metro, major metropolitan area. If you, if you do the experiment, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll usually see that like Homevestors is number one or two, and then 1-800-CASH-NOW is somewhere in the top two or three, and uh, yeah, there's one called We Buy Houses. And uh, what those folks do is they, they pass the leads on to their franchisees, sometimes for money, sometimes it's free for you having paid $70,000 for the franchise. So they have a, right. a very strong economic reason for wanting to pay a lot of money for those key search words. It's very hard for poor Roger to be much further than like page three on Google. Mm-hmm. And you know, statistically, nobody ever gets to page three. <laughs> like like right. 80% of the people don't get past page one and, you know, only 5% gets yeah. page three. So the, 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 the value of your website falls in two arenas. Number one, it's credibility. People don't believe you're real anymore unless you have a website. So when you send a seller a piece of direct mail, even when it doesn't have your website on it, which it usually shouldn't, they look you up. They want to see if this this company that's sending them this letter is a for real company. And if they don't find a website, they're not calling you because they think you, you, you must be fly by night. The other, right. the other use of it, and we had a, we had a guest on last year named uh, Ryan Bush who talked about this, is that sometimes you can get at the top of the search results for uh, what's called long tail keywords, like who buys estate houses in San Antonio, or who will buy my vacant rental property in San Antonio, and you, you, you really can appear on page one if you have sort of those long keywords yeah at the same time though uh the argument that he made was that if that's what you're doing you should have a separate website for landlords who might be looking versus people who inherited a property who might be looking versus somebody who's needs a short sale that might be looking um and it doesn't cost that much to do that anymore you know, yes. t- t- 10 years ago, it was, you know, 65 bucks per month per site to get hosting, and now it's five. Right. And you can get a virtual assistant to have a website up for you in two days for $120, right? So it's not, it's not, that, that's actually realistic now in a way that it would not so have pick been. a niche. Well, it picks several niches <laughs> and have several right. websites is the, is, right. is the concept there. Now, what you really asked, though, was that versus direct mail. And the answer is direct mail wins hands down. Right. You realize there's a huge, okay. chunk, a huge chunk of the population that still would not, it would not occur to them to go on the web to find out who would buy their house. And, and they have to search you out, right? I right. mean, when, when, once, they've, once they've put in certain search terms, you can, you know, have those ads that follow them around and it's really spooky and they see you on Facebook and they see you when they you know, go to whatever website they go to. But um, direct mail is so much more immediate. And, you know, people who aren't even thinking that that there's such a thing as someone who might want their ugly house, get your postcard, and they're like, oh, 
somebody wants my ugly house. I need to call them. You know, like, like seriously, they don't know people like you exist. And when they get the piece of mail, if they are motivated and they really want to, you know, sell their house, they're going to call you. So when you look at um, what's going to make the phone ring the most, it's direct mail to sellers who have some reason to be motivated. So all, all the same things I was just okay. uh, saying to Tara. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, you know, right. that may be who knows if there's going to be a post office 10 years from now at this rate. And also, um, you know, people get more and more used to the idea of you go to, you go to the Internet for everything. But I got to tell you, you know, my my 80 year old mother still has a yellow pages by her phone. She does not go to Google <laughs> to find products and services. And if she if she had a house to sell and you had a, all you had was a site up on the Internet, she would never know about you. Right. Right. Okay. So thanks for the great question. Good perspective. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes. And and try and stay cool down there. (laughs) Not for a few months. Okay. All right. Head head down to the river walk. And it's so beautiful down there that it's a zillion degrees, but you don't notice because it's just so pretty down there. Uh, all right, it's real. It's uh, question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, which means that the entire show is about your questions, which you can get here by doing what Roger just did and calling at 877-772-9658. You can also go to our website, realliferealestate.com, click the tab that says ask a question and uh, type your question in. Please say where you are writing from because that's often helpful in in the answer sometimes it actually makes a difference so um got a question here that came in through real life real estate from tom he says when you're selling your contract and your buyer wants to put the fee in escrow how do you handle this you both complete the escrow form but who takes the check and form to the escrow agent all right to give Everybody, some background here on what the heck it is Tom is talking about. He's saying uh, you're wholesaling property. You want your assignment fee paid when you assign the contract, which is the right time for the assignment fee to be paid. And but the sell, but the buyer says, I don't want to hand you five thousand, ten thousand, whatever the number is, because I want a house. I don't want a I don't want a contract, I want a house. And you say, but I'm not selling a house. I don't have a house. What I'm selling is a contract. And you're in this like, you know, headbutting battle at that point. The solution that should make a buyer who's serious and has the money happy is that that money be held by a third party called an escrow agent. Now, in reality, escrow agents are people who have escrow accounts and uh, people who have escrow accounts if they are licensed people uh, their escrow accounts are very heavily regulated realtors have escrow accounts attorneys have escrow accounts closing agents have escrow accounts and we're talking about somebody like that we're not talking about your friend George who's going to hold it in his bank account until the closing because George could steal the money now of course so could the attorney but he will be in huge trouble with that because escrow accounts are for holding other people's money and you're not supposed to dip in them for any reason because they are not your money they're somebody else's money so the question is 
there's this form that goes along with this escrowing of the money and the form is signed by the wholesaler and the buyer and the form should be really drafted by an attorney at least the first time I mean after that I guess you can probably use it as a template but it says to the escrow attorney this is the this is the money you're escrowing this is what it's for these are the documents that are relevant to this deal. So there'll be probably a copy of the purchase agreement, a copy of the assignment agreement. And this is what is to happen to this money, Mr. Escrow Agent. If the deal closes, it's to be turned over to Tom the Wholesaler. If the deal does not close because of some failure on the part of the seller, the seller turns out can't sell the property, doesn't own it, huge title problem, whatever. Then and only then is it to go back to this end buyer. And it goes on to say, Mr. Escrow Agent, you are going to be held harmless by both of us for doing the things we just told you to do. So if the deal closes and then the buyer says, but I don't want Tom to have the money, and the escrow agent does what the agreement says and gives Tom the money, he is held harmless as part of that agreement. So usually you would you would complete this form and turn over the check with the escrow agent in the room. Your question is who takes the check and the form to the escrow agent and the answer is it should probably be done at the escrow agent's office and if not if it were me I would want to be the one to take it there. I would not want my buyer to say oh yeah I took it because how do I know he did? It's not The check's not made out to me so it's safe assuming I'm not like some crook who washes checks and changes the names on them or something it's safe to give me the check and give me the escrow agreement it's in my best interest to get it to the escrow agent so it'll get deposited so that it can be paid to me when the whatever contingencies there are fulfilled I would not let my buyer take it to the escrow agent but really just do it at their office you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. You can send your questions in by going to realliferealestate.com. That's our website. Clicking the button that says Ask Vina a Question and uh, filling in your question and where you are from. You can also give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and you're the guest. Because without you, that there is no show. Um, you can ask questions two ways. You can go to realliferealestate.com, click, click the Ask a Question button, and uh, type in your question. Hit the send button and it will come directly here via email and that is the quickest way to get here via email you can also call here in the greater cincinnati area at 772-9658 or outside the greater cincinnati area at 877-772-9658 any question that you might have whether you think it's a beginner question or a more advanced question whether it's about financing managing buying selling wholesaling retailing uh, is welcome today because again no show without your questions uh, have a question here from 
I have an email address, but I don't have a name. I'm guessing that the name is Becky from the email address uh, in North Carolina. Uh, She says, I have an issue with a seller who has a very large Medicaid lien against their property. I'm wondering how much of a discount Medicaid will take because I cannot pay for as much for the property as the Medicaid lien plus the back taxes are. Um, Becky, that is a question that has, for whatever reason, popped up like three times in my uh, life in the last week or so. And it gets into an area of law that's sort of ever-changing and also um, uh, very specialized. But my experience with really Medicare, and I assume Medicaid is the same way, is that when when somebody has a uh, a lien from from Medicare, and that gets attached to the property. Medicare then then gets very heavily involved in that property. And they're generally not willing to discount their lien unless they are convinced that the property has been sold in an arm's length transaction that's not being sold under market, that um, every effort has been made to advertise it as widely as possible. Uh, I've even seen them do appraisals on properties. Like Medicare will send out an appraisal appraiser who will say this house is worth $120,000 and then Medicare will say to the owner or it's often the owner's heirs at that point uh you can't sell this you can't sell this for less than you know x dollars for less than $100,000 because if you do we believe that you're selling it for you know too little money and we won't get paid now, obviously, if the Medicare lien's only eighty and they sell it for hundred, Medicare doesn't care. But if the if Medicare's owed one fifty, and the the appraisal comes in at one twenty, and then the owner decides to sell it to you for sixty, they're going to have a problem with that, and they're not going to release the lien. They're not going to allow the property to be sold. So you need to have a further conversation with the owner or whoever is dealing with the property guardian, heir, whoever it is, about what conversation they have had with Medicare up to that point, and. Uh, if Medicare has already stated we will accept a payoff of this much, or uh, we we will accept this much, but it's not going to be payoff. Will that this this is an important distinction? Them saying we will take eighty thousand as full payoff is different from them saying we will take eighty thousand, but you will still owe us the other forty. But we will release this property. We will release the lien on this property. Uh, Those are two different things, and they have different meanings to the person who owes the bill. So uh, it's it's not that they will always discount by a certain amount. And again, they get much more deeply involved in the sale of these properties than they did even five years ago. So you're you're in a situation, (laughs) or your seller's in a situation, uh, where there's probably going to have to be some direct communication by somebody with Medicare about this. So... Thank you very much for your question, I assume, Becky. Uh, 877-772-9658. Or alternatively, you can go to um, realliferealestate.com and send your question that way. Um, Let's see if I can work my way through this question here. Uh, This is from Wes. 
who doesn't mention where he's from, but has sent a number of questions in over the last few weeks. He says, uh, I know you're definitely becoming more familiar with me, <laughs> but nonetheless, thanks for your support each month in helping people like me. You allow those to further educate themselves for experienced investors starting or evolving investors like myself. So thank you. I have a question regarding subject twos and wraps. Can you tell me how subject twos and wraps are structured in the terms and the paperwork process to put a deal together? My reason for this is that I'm looking at some deals, but I'm scared to pull the trigger because I have way more risks in a property that has a mortgage with a bank versus doing a lease option or owner financing on a free and clear house. How is this done so that I know my agreement to a homeowner is worthy of my opportunity to them? Thank you. Um, so subject twos and wraps are related but different things. And I'm, I'm hung up on something you said here, which is my risk in dealing with a bank is higher then my risk in, I understand the lease option one, but but getting owner financing on a free and clear house. I, I disagree with that statement. If you have made a promise to pay someone else's loan versus you have made a promise to pay someone who doesn't have a loan a monthly payment in return for their deed, your risks are roughly equal or it could even be argued that on the subject to your risk is somewhat less because the outcome of you not making a payment to the bank is that the bank forecloses and you lose the property and the seller loses their credit the outcome of not making your payment on an owner finance deal is that you lose your property and you lose your credit they are, they, are, they are both bad. Um, I think not paying an owner, though, who is expecting and depending on a monthly payment from you of X dollars is just as bad, if not worse, than not paying his loan. And depending on the circumstances under which you took over that loan, it could be a lot worse if he was already you know behind in his payments or couldn't make the next payment and you took it over and then later defaulted and did the right thing which is to hand him back his property so that he can do something with it that's actually better in my opinion than making an owner foreclose on you and taking on all that stress and expense upon themselves but that wasn't your question i'm always telling people what questions they should have asked instead of what questions they did ask your question was, how are they structured in the terms and paperwork? And the answer is, so terms meaning, how much do I agree to pay every month for how many months at what interest rate with a subject to? There's no structuring of the terms. It is what it is. You are taking over somebody's payments. They are what they are. You can't renegotiate them. The interest rate is already there. You better be happy with the loan as it is because you can't change it. With a wrap, which is they already have a loan and I they are giving me a new loan that includes their underlying loan that is possibly at the same rate in terms, but often at different rate in terms. Uh, you negotiate a deal that makes you money. And that sounds that sounds predatory, but the the reality is if you aren't making money, they are at more risk. 
if you aren't making enough money to continue to maintain that property, continue to make the payments, pay the taxes, pay the insurance, pay it even when it's vacant, the seller is at more risk, right? So you have to make sure there is plenty of profit in this, which is largely a function of do you know how to evaluate properties? I'll tell you the biggest mistake that I see people make in subject twos and wraps is they agree to terms that don't make sense. They, they, they agree to make a monthly payment of $790 on a house that only rents for $900. And they say, oh, but I'm going to make $120 a month. No, you're not. Because assuming that the property is completely stabilized, it's in good condition and none of the none of the big stuff like the roof or the furnace or the windows are going to go bad in the next 10 years, it's still going to cost you 20% of the gross rent to keep the property maintained and to pay for vacancies and turnovers and capital wear and tear. So on that $900 a month rental, $180 a month has to be set aside for vacancy, maintenance, repairs, and reserves. Which really only leaves you with $720 a month to pay that principal interest tax and insurance payment. You thought you were making $120 a month. You're, in fact, making negative money. You're going to feed that property every month until that loan is paid off. Or you're going to not maintain it, which is also bad and also put your seller at risk. Um, understand, you know, have I bought deals? that I knew we're not going to make any money or that we're going to lose 10 bucks a month? Yes, if I was taking over a $100,000 loan on a $150,000 house. So the the um the equity was what I was in it for, not the cash flow. But if you don't know that the house is worth 150 or you don't know that it's worth 150 but only after you put $10,000 worth of upgrades into it or you don't know how to calculate what the real return on a rental property is, you're going to make deals that are exactly what you're afraid of, which are deals that you find yourself mired in that aren't making money and you're having to make a decision about whether to do what you said you were going to do, which is make the payments or stop doing that, which is bad. In terms of the paperwork, um, again, two different things in a subject to the mortgage already exists. So your paperwork's going to be a purchase agreement saying I'm going to take over your loan that's approximately this amount with this interest rate subject to seeing your mortgage and seeing your mortgage balance. And then at the closing or before the closing, you give them a disclosure that explains everything that could possibly go wrong here. And that, uh, you know, step by step, everything that they need to know about this and you get them to sign and initial all of those things so that they really understand going in what the downsides are to them and at the closing you get a copy of the bank book and a power of attorney to deal with the insurance if the if there's a loss on the property and some other stuff uh, with a wraparound mortgage you actually have to also have a mortgage and a note because there's a new mortgage and a note and a wraparound mortgage uh, if there's any doubt in your mind that the deal you are doing on a subject to or a wrap or an owner finance deal is a good deal for the long term, don't do those things. A uh, lease option is a better option because it, of course, allows you to buy or not buy. That's why it's called an option to buy. Uh, and it allows you to, at some point, you know, per the contract, 
uh, call the seller and say, yeah, you know, this isn't working out the way I thought it was. I'm not going to renew my option and I'm not going to renew my lease and here's your property back. And you should hand it back to them in roughly the same condition that it was handed to you in. So uh, thank you very much for your questions, Wes. If you have a question about anything having to do with real estate investing, you can either call it in at 877-772-9658 or you can email it by going to realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, if you have any kind of question right now, would be a good time to send it in. You can go to realliferealestate.com or you can call in the Cincinnati area, the number is 772-9658. If you're listening to us outside the greater Cincinnati area, it is 877-772-9658. Um, still having this issue where lots of people listen to Real Life Real Estate through our podcast, which is available on iTunes and also available at realliferealestate.com. And they think that what they are listening to is, in fact, a podcast where I'm sitting in my basement recording studio or, or doing a webinar or something. And uh, it is not that. We actually broadcast live at WMKV 89.3 and WLHS 89.9 in Reading and Westchester, Ohio, uh, you know. MKV's in Reading, LHS is in Westchester, on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, which means there is a live time to listen to the show and to answer questions. I even get guests that will say, the other people on your call, not a call radio show. So uh, if you want to listen live where you can answer, ask questions of our guests live, you do that Wednesday from 5 to 6. And if you're not in the Cincinnati area where you can just turn on your radio and listen, uh, you can listen at WMKVFM.org. WMKVFM.org. There's even an app. I discovered that a few weeks ago when I had a guest host that I wanted to listen to really closely while I was out of town. Um, and you just like click the button and it just plays whatever's going on on WMKV at that time. Five to six Wednesdays, that'd be real life real estate. We're going to go to the phones and talk to Christy on line one from Cincinnati. Christy, welcome to real life real estate. Thank you. I'm not an investor, actually, but I do have a rental property that I used to live in and it's in Kentucky. Mm hmm. I'm looking for information about how to, how and when to raise the rent because I'm just a landlord because I have a home I used to live in. I've never studied up on how to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, Christy, I hate to break this to you, but the fact that you have a rental property does make you an investor. I, I, I know, I know, I know the thought process. Like, I'm not really a landlord. I just have, you know, I've met people that have like three or four of these where they, they moved out of a house and bought another one and then moved out of that one and bought another one and they just kept keeping them. And they'll say, I'm not a landlord, except you kind of are. Um, are you between tenants right now or do you have one? I have a tenant. Okay. So when you have a tenant, the discussion is a little bit of a different one because you really you really should be getting as much rent as the market will bear. 
I mean, you're providing the service, right? And it's worth a certain amount of money. And you should be getting all of that money that you can. On the other hand, if you look where I'm about to tell you to look and find out that your rent is $200 a month under market, and you go tell your tenant, guess what, your rent's going up 200 bucks, they're probably going to move. And that's going to give you a probably several month long vacancy and vacancies are expensive. So take what I'm about to say <laughs> with that in mind, right? Right. Um, two, two sources for you. Number one, Craigslist. If you, if you go to Craigslist and go to the for rent section and put in your neighborhood and really look at the ads, don't just look at the, at the brief ads that say three bedroom in Erlang or 685, really look at what what it's advertising you know because i assume you have a house right it's not it's not an apartment so you're going to throw out all the apartments you're going to throw out all the um you know super luxurious got a pool got a 10 car garage unless that's also your house You're, you're looking for properties as similar to what you're offering in the amenities as possible and that'll give you a real good idea of the range that that folks are asking for for those properties Uh the other resource that you can look at is um any of the free online um uh, house selling sites like zillow trulia housevalues.com all of those also have rental ads and a lot of those are posted by real estate agents who have rentals available and real estate agents tend to want to get as much rent as possible because that's how they get paid. They get part of the, they get part of all of the first month's rent. So that, that's going to give you an idea of like, this is what real estate agents think they can get for houses like mine. Do not look at the average. All of those, all of those uh, sites have something that says like, our, we, we estimate that the average rent for this house should be $1,495. Don't look at that. Cause that, that number is always misleading and high and blah, blah, blah. Just look at, look at the other, rental listings if you find out that your rents are low which is really common with people in your situation because they weren't quite sure how to price it maybe it's been a few years since your tenant tenant moved in and 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 rents have gone way up in the last three years just don't don't be shocked if you find out you are several hundred dollars under market uh, then you might want to go to your tenant and say, you know, you've been you've been here years. I appreciate you being here, but I need to raise the rent. Just don't you don't raise it two hundred bucks all at, in one shot. You know, maybe maybe mm-hmm. if it's fifty bucks or something, because I bet your expenses have gone up. Yeah, I bet your taxes have gone up. I bet I bet every you know, insurance has gone up, and you need to be compensated for that. And your tenant knows they're getting a good deal. I mean, it's not like they don't talk to their friends who are tenants and, and they're out there bragging, yeah, she, Christy only charges me this much. And their <laughs> friends are saying, oh, my God, I pay this much. So they know they're getting a good deal and they're probably sitting around waiting for you to increase the rent. And they're probably not going to move over a $50 or $100 rent increase if they're $200 under market. Because let's face it, it costs more than that to move. Mm-hmm. And they're never going to find another place that's as cheap anyway, right? Now, You're right. When you do that, you need to give, you can talk to the tenant, but then you need to give them an official notice that their rent is going up and that that notice needs to be, needs to encompass an entire rental period. So if you were, let's say you were give it to them today, it couldn't take effect until October 1st. 
You couldn't say okay. you couldn't say as of three days from now, uh, your rent's going up a hundred bucks. You have to give them a full rent cycle, and it might be a good idea if you haven't done this lately to re-up their lease at the same time. Okay. To have them have them sign on to another lease because as long as they're month to month, you can up their rent anytime you want with that appropriate notice. So really, the lease kind of protects them as well as protecting you. Okay, good. Do, do you have a lease with them now? Did you have one when they moved in? Yes, I had a year lease when we, when they moved in, and then it's been month to month since the first year okay. was complete. Yeah, if you if you like them and you want to keep them around, you might want to go ahead and have them sign a, a new lease at the same time as the new rent takes effect. Okay. And just tell them it's, you know, it's for both of our protections. Okay, so like $50 or $100 a year until I catch up with myself yes or with the market yes okay. and you know at some at some point they'll move in, and at that point you raise it all the way up <laughs> you raise it all the way up yeah. to what other to what other people are, are getting because you're starting new and this is always you know i looked up i looked up uh one day about six months ago and realized i had a tenant that i hadn't raised the rents on in seven years <laughs> and like that's not my habit you know i try to you know if if, if the market will allow it for a while there it didn't from you know 2008 to 2012 you just you just kept the rent the same and prayed they stayed because <laughs> like rents were not going up uh but uh, over the last couple of years i've been really looking hard at at all of my rentals and i don't know how i missed this one but this guy is still paying well he's not anymore but <laughs> when i looked up six months ago he was easily paying 250 bucks a month under market Mm. So yeah, I didn't say, oh, surprise, your rent just went up, you know, twenty five percent. I said, yeah, we need to do an increase of fifty bucks, and I'll just do fifty bucks a year until he either moves out or we get caught up to the right number. Okay. And I guess on these uh, references you've given me, they will talk about whether the rent includes the utilities and the water. You'll be able to see that in the ad. Are are you okay. are you paying that for your tenant? No, I am not. Yeah, most single family homeowners don't. You'll see one every once in a while. It says water included for some reason, but it'll say in. That's why I said really look at the ads. Don't just look at the price and the neighborhood and the bedrooms. Really look at the ads okay. and see if there's anything being included that would be special that would affect the rent. Okay. All right. Good. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your call, Christy. Well, that wraps up question and answer week for real life real estate investing. Thanks to all the listeners and callers. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.